Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Welcome to the Follow the Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of 5-Star BDM, where we help you to build a five-star brand that people will follow. What do leading healthcare CEOs like Lloyd Dean, the late Bernard Tyson, and Eugene Woods have in common? They all share unique talents and abilities that are delivered for their organizations in innovative ways. My next guest, Scottish Pierce, Chief Operations Officer of Holy Cross Health, also possesses unique skill sets that connect his mission, vision, and values for innovation through patients, physicians, and employees. His primary executive brand was crafted through key stretch assignments to make critical administrative decisions that get results that matter. The forethought of utilizing resources innovatively by looking at the data to gain non-traditional operational wins are his hallmark. Pierce says to research what is possible through continuous learning paths and reading industry news and non-industry publications, podcasts, and webinars are his strengths. As problems emerge, you want to leverage your network and knowledge gain to solve critical business issues. Get your skills up to date in many areas of healthcare delivery and stay on the pulse of the industry. Stonish has a people-centered approach and collaborative leadership style in improving healthcare delivery. Pierce is a board-certified healthcare executive with diverse clinical and leadership experiences in acute and ambulatory operations from non-profit, public, private, government, academic teaching, and faith-based hospitals to integrated delivery systems and for-profit physical therapy sectors. Before joining Holy Cross Health, Pierce was System Vice President and Specialty Services for Beaumont Health, Michigan's most extensive health system based on inpatient admissions and net patient revenue. During his tenure there, 
he recruited more than 150 physicians, co-led the transition of the physical medicine and rehabilitation residency to internal oversight, transitioned the employed hospitalist program to a value-based model, facilitated top desal divisional employee engagement and transitioned more than 700 physicians to telehealth amid COVID-19. A regular speaker for ACHE, Becker's Healthcare, HFMA, World Healthcare Congress, and World Research Group. His industry perspectives have been featured by Modern Healthcare, Becker's, ACHE, Creighton University, and the Positivity Academy and heavily invested in professional development, professionally trained with practical experience applying the Malcolm Baldrige criteria. Service as a statewide examiner and leading system-wide category committees for organizational performance excellence. In 2021, he was named by Modern Healthcare as one of the top 25 emerging leaders in healthcare. A three-time recertified fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives, Pierce is also a recipient of ACHE's Regional Early Career Healthcare Executive Award and Distinguished Service Awards. He was also recognized by his alma mater, the University of Southern California, better known as USC, with the Price School's 90 Pioneers of 90 Years Award. Pierce earned a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology and a Master of Health Administration degree with a graduate certificate in management all from USC. Let us welcome Stannis Pierce to the Follow Brand Podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode on Follow Brand Podcast. I always want to bring impactful, dynamic discussion, specifically in the healthcare realm that has been in the spotlight since COVID for a very long time. And I'd like to talk to the executives as they have traversed in this world of unprecedented circumstances. So we're going to bring to the mic someone who comes all the way from California, you know, a USC Trojan, you know, into the into the U country. So he traveled a long way to get here from beach to beach. So I want to bring him up. We want to talk to him about some things that has impacted his brand, has elevated his, his, himself, and then how is he finding the landscape here in Miami? So, Stanish Pierce, welcome to the Follow the Brand Podcast. Thank, thank you for having me, Grant. Pleasure to be here. So let's start out with some simple questions, right? Something very simple. So first of all, why did you choose South Florida as a landing spot? You know, I, I, cho- I chose Trinity Health as opposed to South Florida. Now, now South Florida wow. and what it brings to the table certainly didn't didn't hurt. And so I'd worked in Catholic healthcare before when I was at Presence Health in Chicago as part of Ascension and really connected with the mission, the vision and the values. I thought they really resonate with who I am as a person. Um, I got into healthcare because I wanted to help people. Um, obviously, no margin, no mission is something we'll hear over and over but certainly at the essence of who I am and, and what I bring to the table, it's about helping others. And I started in healthcare, somewhat on the clinical side through uh, pre-physical therapy, and that's always stayed within me. 
And so the opportunity to come to Trinity Health, um, very mission driven, faith, obviously a faith based organization that was coincidentally headquartered in Michigan, where I was before, but saw the opportunity here um, in Fort Lauderdale, which was a growing ministry, uh, great brand an opportunity to perhaps improve operations in terms of some of the financial performance as well. So Trinity certainly stood out. Uh, obviously, the opportunity to work with our CEO, uh, Mark Doyle, uh, very innovative, uh, energetic gentleman, um, you know, very interested in kind of helping me get to the next level at the same time. And then the great team here, I really uh, engaged and kind of um, felt the, the love from the physicians and the medical staff as I was interviewing along with the staff. And, you know, one thing led to another and I said, uh, this is a great opportunity for me to continue my next uh, steps in my career. So uh, that's why I came to Holy Cross, Trinity Health, and obviously uh, Miami Fort Lauderdale was just kind of the icing on the cake. Well, I tell you, I love how you frame that. And it, it, what I hear from that is that you like the brand. You like the Trinity Health brand kind of attracted you. And then location was kind of secondary, but you wanted to get there and everything. There was some alignment. Uh, along that that brand perspective. So how would you define your brand and how has it helped you in your career? Great question, Grant. I, you know, as I mentioned before, one of the things, and the primary reason why I came into healthcare is because I want to help others. And then hopefully that's, you know, a testament for most people coming into healthcare. And I always say you can make a lot more money doing a lot of other things outside of healthcare with a lot less stress, but we decide to show up every single day. And so, you know, my brand has always been about helping others and kind of connecting with people. And so a story I've, I've told with a few others before, uh, when I was in the Chicago market, uh, one of the employees in the cardiology department, she said, you know what, you're one of the few executives that come downstairs from the C-suites. The C-suite was on the third floor. She's on the second floor. And she said, you're one of the few people that comes down and talks to us like we're regular people. I'm going, wow, regular people. I've, I've never thought about myself any differently just because perhaps I've taken a new position here or there. but the essence of me and you, we're both regular people, right? And I've never saw myself as above anyone. And so she said, you know what? You're, you're very down to earth. In fact, you, you're the people's executive. <laughs> and so I was having a discussion with an executive coach a few years ago. She said, what's your brand? And I'm thinking, you know, the, you know, Nike's got a slogan, just do it. Apple's got a, a slogan. I'm thinking, I don't need to do that, right? And she's like, no, what is, what is your brand? What do people know you by? And I said, I, I thought back on that story and I said, the people's executive. And so it's based on three premises, patients, physicians, and employees. And I would say those, those three uh, kind of focuses have really helped me throughout my career. Keeping the patient at the fore forefront of everything we do has been just key in my career. Um, whether we're looking at a new cancer center or opening up in a diabetes program, uh, sleep medicine, it's always been about where does the, what does the patient need and what does the community need and keeping that first and foremost. Employees. I think getting a lot of buy-in starts with employees, right? Why do people resist change a lot of time, right? Because they don't believe in it. They don't know the why. You can connect with that average frontline employee and tell them why we're doing things, why it's beneficial and why you need their help. And being relatable to them, it'll go a long way. And the third part has really kind of helped my uh, career has been physicians. I would say the majority of the strategic initiatives I've been able to push forward have been in, done in partnership with physicians. And so I think a lot of leaders don't, some of them see physicians as just pawns or commodities to drive volumes. We need more surgeries. We need more admissions to the hospital. But do you actually sit back and look at physicians as partners? Right? I, I had one of my earlier mentors, uh, Michael Cover. He told me a long time ago, physicians admit patients to the hospital. I don't. And so that's something that's really resonated with me over the years. 
it really kind of helped me as part of my success. So to answer your question, Grant, those three components of the people's executive, patients, physicians, employees, keeping those three things at the forefront have really helped me throughout my career. Man, I well stated, well branded, I, I would say, that you stood back and took a look at yourself. And that's that's really key. It's what others say about you will help you in your definition of scope because that's what the people, the perception is the reality, right? And if they perceive you as someone that that's approachable, that you're a person that they can talk to, you're talking to them on that same level, that goes a long way, specifically what you just said about when you have different initiatives that you're rolling out that affects the culture of the entire uh, enterprise or the hospital system of itself. Now I want to change this a little bit because I there there are the my audience that tunes into this podcast, they're at different levels uh, on their journey, their career journey, on their business development journey. And they're looking to accomplish, get to that next level. You know, a lot of people have the what do you call the table stakes. You've got the degrees, you've got the you know, the, ex, the uh, expanded degree, whether it's a master's degree, a PhD, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So that gives you just, you know, the credentials to get into the room, but to truly get and traverse up the ladders into the uh, C-suites of different organizations. Can you earmark like three accomplishments that you feel that you've done for yourself that has helped you in your path forward? Another great question, Grant. Uh, wow. You know, three three um, key accomplishments that really probably stand out. Uh, actually, going back to the Chicagoland market, um, I was serving in a similar CEO role there, and I had the the pleasure of advancing and developing the present center for cancer and specialty care. It's essentially a cancer center. Now, I co co developed the business plan, but what was really instrumental in that particular scenario, we had a, a convent. It was eleven bedrooms. It was fairly modern. It was only built ten years before. And the sisters live there, the nuns, as many of you, many people refer to them affectionately. Well, they had uh, departed and I had to make sure I always say uh, they moved because I said one time I said when we got rid of the sisters and that, that wasn't what I meant. But the sisters moved uh, and kind of concentrated their housing in the Chicago suburbs. So we had this nice convent on our campus. We said, what do we do with this? And we thought about hospice and before we eventually decided on cancer care. And so that was in partnership with our CEO, but really taking this former um convent utilizing the garage for the for the linear accelerator and radiation therapy program and really kind of keeping this concept of this this homely feel the living room became the patient registration area we call the patient family lounge and so really kind of making it patient center but you know I'm, I'm very proud of that one it was it was something we can talk a lot of detail about but we knew in that particular service area cancer was going to increase 18 percent over the next 10 years so here, here it was talking about the very essence of what we talked about earlier in terms of patients, keeping at the center of everything and having the opportunity to respond. Our community health needs assessments said one thing, and I know a lot of non, all nonprofit hospitals conduct those community health needs assessments, but how many of us actually sit back, look at the data and say, how do we actually respond in a way that not only helps our community, but also makes a margin for our organization? So the President Center for Cancer and Specialty Care is certainly one that stands out. Uh, another one I'd probably go back almost, believe it or not, it's almost 20 years, about 18 years. Uh, I was reading a, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal about retail clinics. And, you know, it was it was a fad. It didn't even exist past the Mississippi River at that point in time. But I was reading this, had a conversation with um, our CEO at the time um, in, in San Diego, Michael Covert. 
And I said, this is going to come to the West Coast and these are going to expand throughout the country. Now, keep in mind, like I said before, this didn't exist past Mississippi River. We're talking about San Diego at this point in time. And so, you know, taking that, that opportunity, beginning as an administrative fellow and kind of going to my first management role, um, selling that concept to a publicly elected board that could essentially get voted out of office uh, when the next elections come. So the system I was at was a, was a hospital district very similar to the Memorial District here uh, in South Florida or the Broward District where they have, you know, publicly elected uh, boards. And so that one went from a concept to a full-fledged uh, retail clinics. Um, they were the first, first hospital licensed retail clinics in the state and a CVS only beat us to the market by three months, which was pretty good for a health system to be agile and respond. Uh, another, the third one, I, you know, I struggle with kind of coming up with, with a third one as we think about this, was probably also back in the Chicagoland market, uh, probably after the passage of the Affordable Care Act, uh, you know, obviously expansion in terms of Medicaid services. And we had a unique opportunity. Many people are familiar with Cook County uh, Hospital and Health System in Chicago, one of the bigger ones. And they came up with a health plan called County Care. And so, you know, my role was non-traditional from a hospital executive role, but you know, my role actually uh, emerged as a system lead um, per the direction of our system president and CEO at the top level. And so my role is really going around the going around the system, trying to get physicians to accept Medicaid patients. Right. And, and also getting the hospitals aligned with services, because we went from, a you know, essentially these were services that were either getting rid off, written off as charity care or bad debt. And eventually got almost 13000 people enrolled in that plan. And the reason why we became a partner to Cook County is because they only had two hospitals but they had 110,000 members. So you do the math and there's only so many hospitals take care of those members. So they subcontract a lot of services. So, you know, that was actually a big role when I was a director to help me get elevated to the C-suite at that point in time. We ended up, as I mentioned, enrolling almost 13,000 patients and made about 2 million for the system at that point in time. So, you know, those three things I've kind of given you are some non-traditional hospital operations um, examples, but certainly to kind of you know, I made this mark in terms of doing things off the traditional job description and really kind of elevating my career as we went along. Well, in listening to what you just stated as accomplishments, it what I get from even in your brand is that, number one, you do a lot of research and that you're looking at what's possible and how you can think outside the box. I mean, that that description you just talked about doing retail This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement in operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. That's only been in, you know, as an idea, first of all, as an idea of an implementation, you know, to beat CVS to that, uh, to that market punch, I think is, is, is fantastic. And I, I like that. So I, 
I find you as a very innovative person. So, and I know you have to stay on top of things and you've got to get buy-in. You've got to get an executive buy-in and you're, you're exemplifying executive presence and how you're presenting your business case in which you get buy-in. I, I think that's wonderful. So how do you stay on top of things in order to make that type of case? Yeah, you know, that's, that's another great question you've asked, Grant. And one of the things I really pride myself is on staying relevant. And so I, I tell a lot of graduate students as they're coming up in kind of early careers, and it's kind of hard to believe myself almost entering kind of the mid-career stage now as I, as I kind of say that. But one of the things I really pride myself is continuous learning. And so I've shared with some colleagues before, I have not missed ACHE Congress in, I believe, 17 years, uh, aside from the pandemic years where, they, where it was canceled. And so that's that's one conference I always look forward to. Uh, I always try to take something back. And one of the things I actually do with um, my direct reports uh, in the past, I said, if you're going to these conferences, I want you to come back and present something to the leadership team so we know kind of uh, what you learn. So it's bigger than just going out and partying or having a good time. And, and, and you want to do those things and network. But let's bring let's bring one tangible thing back to the organization every time we go to those conferences. And so ACHE is my conference of choice. Um, Becker's Healthcare is something I attend at least the annual meeting every year. I've had the pleasure of speaking at that meeting, but I always take something back from Becker's. Uh, I've had an opportunity to attend HFMA events in the past, as along with World Healthcare Congress. So continuous learning. Uh, reading. I read something on healthcare uh, pretty much every single week, uh, at least a few times a week. So I really rely on modern healthcare. Uh, I rely on, rely on Becker's, uh, the Journal of Healthcare Management, Health Leaders Media, or some sources. And then also, we talked about the, the retail clinic example earlier, uh, non-healthcare publications as well, business-related publications. I think you have to stay on top of where's the puck going? Um, who's coming into the healthcare space? Uh, if, you know, Amazon, we always talk about Amazon. They weren't always in healthcare. Now they're trying to get in healthcare, but we all we all remember when they were just selling books, right? Right. And now look at Amazon, right? Pretty much all of us have probably ordered something off of Amazon or a family member, whether it's socks, uh, you know, appliances, you name it. But Amazon is, is something else. But the reason I share that with you, the Wall Street Journal is something else I turn to and really staying abreast. Uh, podcasts, uh, very much like the Follow the Brand podcast here. Uh, listen to the Becker's podcast. Uh, ACHE has a podcast. So any any podcast of substance, uh, I, I certainly turn, tune into as well. And I think networking, right? So we, we talked about kind of attending ACHE, Congress, um, the NASI conferences over the year. It's about expanding your network. And so as problems emerge, you, you want to tap into your network. And that really kind of helps you learn as well. So, you know, if I had to take 50 states, I probably know someone in 35 to 40 of those states, whether I know them directly or indirectly that I can, I can tap into. So that's important in terms of, you know, solving ongoing business issues. I can tap into people and say, hey, how are you handling this in California or Texas? And I can call some of those people because I'm not a direct competitor to them. But it's always good to kind of really exchange ideas. And I think the last thing is webinars. I think, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of us had a lot of time to participate in a lot of webinars. Everything was virtual, right? And so really, um, you know, if I see a topic of interest, whether that's from from modern healthcare, um, Virginia Mason has some webinars I kind of tap into here and there, but I'll, I'll tap into webinars, uh, ACHE, and just to kind of get my skills up to date. And that, that could be anything from looking at productivity and labor management. It could be marketing communications. It could be surgical operations. Uh, it could be robotic operations. I'm, I'm going to a conference in a few weeks with Intuitive. 
to really kind of get our uh, our robotic um, program up to speed further than it is today. So those are some of the things I do to get get up to speed on an ongoing basis, Grant. Well, that is phenomenal. And I like that you keep yourself on the pulse of what's happening in healthcare, not just in healthcare, but industry, because people, you have to look at the entire scope of a human being and their and their experiences, because they touch all the different verticals every single one of them, right? And all those things kind of come to rest, especially in the hospital. Most people were born in a hospital and a lot of us will will leave this earth in a hospital. So you encompass a lot of that human experience. And I like how you framed about the different professional networks and the networking that you've been able to accomplish. There's three things, three common themes that are constantly coming up in my podcast, when I talk to different healthcare executives and executives in general about how they got to these next levels or how they're going to even ascend either further or even help others to ascend. And, and that is around mentorship. It's around sponsorship. It's around advocacy. And when I think about those three things, I want to ask you about the professionals that you look up to you know are they in the same profession are they you know higher up on the on the ladder that you want to send to talk talk to me about that a little bit yes i, I want to address both you know both it's both the questions you kind of ask mentorship sponsorship and then perhaps name drop a few people that have been kind of instrumental in my development and my career thus far and, and the first one I, i'll answer is the people i look up to um obviously the recently retired lloyd d you know i mentioned his name in a, in a modern healthcare article i did a few months ago. Uh, here, he's also a gentleman from very humble beginnings. I come from humble beginnings and I've, I've never forgotten that. But the essence of his leadership always talked about helping kind of less unfortunate and really using, utilizing his platform as a voice. So that whole brand, you know, Common Spirit, I don't work for Common Spirit, but I'm, I'm very aware of it, you know, hello, human kindness. And how do you connect an entire company to kind of really get on part with that? So I always appreciated how Lloyd really kind of led with that. And it, he stayed true to his brand, even as you kind of heard him speak at Becker's and other conferences. So um, Lloyd is someone I've admired from afar. Uh, another person I really look up to in terms of thinking about names was the late Bernard Tyson. Uh, another person that was just unapologetic in his approach, um, speaking about issues that affect the African-American community in particular, uh, but also minorities as well. And I really appreciated him utilizing this platform as well. Um, because a lot of some executives get to those levels and they don't that's that's kind of cautionary. Right. You don't want to you don't want to leave with that. And so I've always uh, appreciated and continue to appreciate what uh, what Bernard brought to the table. And I, I took a tidbit from him. He had he had something, an article he wrote uh, years ago. He had the uh, the American flag in his office and he and he would use that during his uh, executive meetings. And, and, and the story behind that, he said he encouraged freedom of speech. <laughs> he said he might not he might not agree with everything you say. But he encouraged freedom of speech and everyone had a voice. And so, uh, believe it or not, that's something I actually adopted. I actually have a, a small flag in my office and uh, utilize that with my team. They got a kick out of it. But, you know, it's, it's the honest truth. Um, another person um, really look up to is uh, Eugene Woods, or a lot of people call him Gene Woods affectionately. And, you know, Gene's had this kind of um, executive presence for years. You know, I, I knew Gene uh, going way back to when he was at CHI uh, St. Joseph, you know, way back, I believe, in Kentucky. And so, you know, you could always tell he was someone that was going to go to the next level. And just to kind of see the things he's doing now, you know, with the Advocate Aurora merger, uh, the Johnson C. Smith partnership that was announced a few days ago, and even the Innovation District down in Charlotte, it, it's it's just uh, it's so great to see 
and we share a mutual mentor that we both worked for years back. So that's how I connected with Gene originally. Uh, another person I certainly admire um, is, is obviously Michael Covert. Uh, I've mentioned his name a few times during this podcast, but he was one of the earlier executives that really gave me an opportunity here in this field. He's one of the first people that really believed in me. And he hired me down in San Diego. I had a chance to go down there because a number of executives that had worked with him in the past. So Eugene Woods had worked for him. Uh, Mike Rowan that's at, um, out in Boston now, he had worked for him. Mike Uwicki down in Memphis, Tennessee. These are all African-American diverse executives, how you prefer to it. And they say, yeah, if you get the opportunity to work for this gentleman, you do. And so I appreciated him because that, that even that example with the retail clinics, he took a, he took a, a chance on me, not only as, as an administrative fellow, I was his first administrative fellow in San Diego. So he had 27 before me in other parts of the country, but to, here, here you go. Um, probably not as diverse areas as you, as you might imagine, but to bring in kind of your first administrative fellows is up and coming, hopefully uh, a young African-American leader and giving them an opportunity, a platform to shine and then taking a risk like the retail clinics. Right. And so that's less about the traditional operations we're talking about today, but certainly um, he's someone that's continued to be a mentor as well as a sponsor um, throughout my career. And then hopefully it's okay if I name drop a few other people. I have to no, go right. Them. This is wonderful. Go right ahead. There, and I, and I, I'm always remiss with doing this. I might forget a few folks, but, you know, I started my career uh, my administrative residency at the VA Medical Center, uh, Linda Surapruik. Um, she's actually still there 20 years later. And so I want to make sure uh, her name is her loud and clear. She gave me my first administrative uh, opportunity as I was kind of branching from the clinical realm into um, healthcare leadership. So I was very fortunate to work with her and uh, help the VA develop a lift team in L.A. Uh, the other people I want, I want to name drop is uh, my former boss from, uh, from Palomar Health, Sheila Brown. She just retired a few weeks ago, but someone that was continued to be a, both a mentor and a sponsor throughout my career gave me a lot of key stretch assignments. We got involved in everything from not just the retail clinic, but pharmacy operations, uh, retail operations, uh, support services development. So I'm really thankful for her. We talked a little bit earlier about physicians. There's a physician, he's now retired, Dr. Harrop. He's, he's actually here in Florida now, not near me, but he's in Florida. And he was just a tremendous physician partner that I'm, I'm very fortunate to have in my life and career. When I got to the Chicago market, we talked more and more about mentorship and sponsorship. Um, there was a CEO when I first arrived there that was very involved in my uh, interview process, well, selection process, even as a director. Her name is Margaret McDermott. She's now retired as well. But Margaret was you know, a great example and great leader that I looked up to. And she's very personable. She knew we had a hospital, two campuses, about 3,000 people. I think she knew everyone by first and last name, and she knew something about them. So that was something from a leadership standpoint I really picked up from her. My former CNO, uh, who, who was initially my boss in Chicago, that was a very a big advocate of me getting promoted to become her peer, so to move to the C-suite. And so you don't get a lot of people that are open like that um, to kind of really help develop your career, not only, not only to mentor you, but then also sponsor you to be their peer. And then the third person of the organization is Martin Judd. He's uh, my he became the second CEO during my tenure in Chicago and elevated me to the C-suite. So uh, I'm forever kind of indebted to him for giving me an opportunity over people that probably had 20 more years experience. But he really saw something in me. And then the last person I, I, I name drop is obviously here in the uh, Fort Lauderdale market is, uh, is Mark Doyle. Uh, another person that's really been a big advocate for me. Um, believing in my abilities and also really uh, engage in my development in terms of seeing me get to the next level. And then there's there's countless other physicians. I you know Dr. Carpenter at Beaumont, uh, a lot of other people. I would I would probably name drop as well, and I probably won't name them all, unfortunately. But uh, those are some people that certainly stand out. 
But there's there's a difference, Grant. We talk about mentorship and sponsorship, right? Mentors, you can have, you know, they can be in your organization. They can be external to your organization. I have them. Uh, I, I mentor some other people. And then sponsors are those people that really, when, 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 the, when the iron gets hot, are they willing to put your name up for promotion or telling others in the organization that you have some unique talents and abilities and you can deliver in this organization? So that's how I define the difference between the two. That, you know, what, what you just defined there, that you stand on the shoulders of others and that if you are demonstrating your uniqueness and, and helping the mission move forward, people will notice and they will advocate for you. You had a lot of that happening in your particular circumstance. Now, I want to pick your brain just a little bit because the healthcare landscape is changing. You know, you discussed some things even early in your career, talking about just uh, retail uh, healthcare outlets, right? That the landscape is changing. You have more of a consumerization of healthcare. There's a lot more competition, different types of competition that's coming into the, to the fold. And we need fresh thoughts. We need fresh ideas and ways that we can, first of all, reduce what you always hear these things uh, that there's so much waste in healthcare. There's so much, you know, or um, uh, things that can be done differently in the workflows uh, to make things a little bit better. So my question is, how do you see the healthcare landscape changing in the next few years? And how do you see yourself in creating that change? Wow. You know, healthcare is, is continually evolved, right? I, th- I think the pandemic was a perfect push. So I remember before the pandemic, the thought of telehealth among a lot of people was foreign. Right? I, I still remember I had a physician coming to me um, when the pandemic really took off when I was in Michigan and said, "I've been asking you about this for months." Now he had never asked me anything about telehealth, but all of a sudden he didn't want to he didn't want to interact with patients, you know, face to face if he didn't have to. And so, so telehealth is uh, was something that really took off during the pandemic. I see that, that that's here to stay. Obviously, you know, subject to, to reimbursement and being kind of um, sustainable long term for healthcare organizations. You know, one of the things, you know, I've been talking about for years is this migration outpatient. I think that's going to continue to happen, unfortunately. I, I don't believe a lot of the inpatient volumes in the hospital are coming back. That's my personal opinion. They've been either decreasing or flatlined the last several years. This was before the pandemic. I think you're going to see the continue to see the proliferation of uh, ambulatory surgery centers, especially in areas like South Florida, uh, Texas, and obviously a lot of other areas that have adopted them thus far. Uh, because employers are asking for lower costs, they're you know they're tired of seeing the raising premiums. Uh, payers are certainly looking for lower cost options in terms of uh, you know probably increasing their profit margins. And patients and consumers want to pay less out of their pocket. And so I think those those three kind of factors really uh, tie up. I think we'll continue to see the um, the growth of uh, GI and endoscopy centers on outpatient basis. Mm-hmm. And one of the areas that really keeps me up at night is uh, cardiology and cardiac some cardiac procedures. We're already seeing cardiac ASCs. Uh, ambulatory surgery center. So, you know, the, the hospitals in particular are going to look very different. I think at least in two years, definitely uh, within five years, if not two years. So, you know, how do hospital executives kind of, you know, navigate this time? Because you're going to have to have one foot in the sand in terms of kind of the fee for service environment and kind of what we've always been focused on and in really increasing volumes. And then you can have a lot of these, a lot of these uh, procedures and surgeries going to the outpatient basis where you might be making 25, 30% less. And if you're going to a joint venture, now you're probably making 50, 60% less. And so the, the footprint in the hospital is going to look drastically different. You know, I just had an interesting conversation just a day ago 
our senior management team meeting and, and the, the discussion was that we need to invest more into our call center in terms of the ambulatory practices because that's where the volumes are going. And I, so I sat back and said, well, we probably can't have the same cost structure in the hospital if those volumes aren't increasing accordingly. And so I don't have a perfect answer for it, but we all kind of have our, um, you know, our, our ears uh, kind of listening and also looking to see. You know, another factor, in addition to outpatient, I think Amazon. I think Amazon is going to be a factor. I think they're going to figure it out. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, when they started, they were just selling books, right? And now they, they pretty much sell everything, right? And so I think with their recent acquisition of one medical, you know, tying in kind of the Whole Foods, that has become this continuum in terms of primary care and healthy eating and, and whatever else they might be involved in, probably health plans in the near future. I think CVS is going to continue to be a factor in the industry. Uh, especially with the acquisition of Aetna. We already know they, they have plans to turn additional stores into health hubs. They've already started that transition where you can go in for primary care. Obviously, they own the insurance product. And what else are they going to mix into the CVS stores? So those things are keeping uh, keeping me up. And I think Optum, you know, owned by United Healthcare, I think you're going to continue to see health plans purchase providers and group practices and physicians across the board. So those are, those are several of the things that kind of jump top to mind when I start thinking about what healthcare is going to look like yeah, in two years and potentially, um, and definitely I would say in five years. Wow. Yeah. Lots of chains coming down the pipe. We haven't even touched on government policy right. that, uh, that could change, you know, different administrations, different ways, because we have an enormous uh, GDP when it comes to just the healthcare, <laughs> just yeah. the managing the healthcare of Americans. So it's got to change. That's number one. It's going to change. What it changes and morph it morphs into, we will see. I'm glad you brought up the uh, digital transformation. I think that's going to be huge. And it's just a matter of how it's going to happen because home health care, like you said, most people want to be taken care of in the home. They they have a little bit more um, comfort level you know, at that point. But the acute care, uh, which you, you know, hospitals are the masters of and from an acute setting, it's just all those other electives and other things. And we'll see how that all kind of pans out. So before I let you go, what's the best way for the, the our audience to get in touch with you? Yeah, you know, LinkedIn is fine. LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, I, I will respond to your request. And I always say drop a note or something at least to say how we met or how we're connecting. I One of the things I pride on myself on with LinkedIn is I know, I personally know probably 98% of the people I'm connected with. I could tell you how we met um, or how we're, how we're kind of connected. So it's, it's always personal for me. It's less about just adding connections. And so uh, LinkedIn would be a, a great resource. I think what you just said is so, so important is that that controls your feed. So you're going to be, you know, if you're connected to 98% of the people that are there, you know that there is a, a reason why you connect to that person that adds to your, your particular career business development. So then your feed is going to reflect that and you're going to get good content. So you won't get stuff that's just way out of the box and have no reason being in your feed. So I, I like how you put that out there. This has been wonderful. And I would encourage the entire audience and everybody, everybody in the Trinity Health family to tune in to all the episodes of Follow Brand at www.5starbdm. And that is B for brand, B for development, and for masters.com. Thank you very much for being on the show. It's my, it was my absolute pleasure, Graham. I'm glad we were able to connect here and uh, finally get this uh, episode recorded. Yes, yes. Can't wait. Take care.